0: The Athletic. Let's talk about six, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Let's talk
1: about six, OK, massive welcome to the Red Agenda Extra. I'm Steve Hothersall, Kiva O'Neill, James Pearce, both here to look ahead to the game at Watford, the return of the Premier League. And we're we'll also put the focus on Liverpool's uh, cult hero, Joel Matip, and the Reds' head of nutrition, uh, Mona Nemer. James done uh, an exclusive interview with Mona, so we'll talk about that later on. Obviously, straight out of the international break and into a pretty busy period, seven games... In 22 days, Watford, Atletico and Manchester United, the first three fixtures. Um, Kiva, there's no rest from here on in.
0: No rest for the wicked, Steve, is there? I feel that way myself. We was meant to record this podcast a bit earlier, (laughs) but I've been shooting off all over the place today. Um, Yeah, it's going to be another insane time for Liverpool, as was the last, was it like seven games in 22 days recently as well? So whatever that was. Um. So yeah, I think you know the fixtures are coming thick and fast. Um. Just an international break every like day now, isn't there? Which is annoying. Uh, which doesn't help the players, particularly those of uh, Brazilian descent. So yeah, that's going to be tricky as well for for Liverpool to manage, because the the players filling in for those players are players potentially that have also been involved on international and Liverpool. I don't know. I don't know what the actual record, but. I think Liverpool do win games, quite a lot of them, but usually after the international break, you find they drop off a little bit because everyone's been all over the world. Um, you know, they usually get wins after after that. But, um, you know, the game's an interesting one, isn't it? Considering, you know, Liverpool were invincible on the way to the league title until they, uh, they made that trip to Wofford, which was, I think, the last Premier League away game. Uh, fans got to go to, so fans will be be back there, and yeah, just obviously Atletico's going to be a a low block of of hell. I can well imagine uh, for Liverpool to try and break down, and then United is just massive, isn't it? Emotionally, as anything else.
1: Let's get into these um, these South American players and the and the situation that currently stands. So it there was a dilemma, James, in the last transfer window. Thankfully, it all got sorted and everything was fine. But this looks like it it could be different. So Alisson and Fabinho are going to be involved in a Brazil fixture which is taking place in the early hours of Friday morning UK time, but then they're straight on a plane. But is it absolutely inconceivable to think that they could feature for Liverpool what 35 hours later?
2: Yeah, I, I think highly unlikely. I think Fabinho has gone on record in the last 24 hours as saying that you know he, he doesn't expect to start against Watford and 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 the same goes for Allison. I think obviously Liverpool will do everything they can to to get them back as soon as possible. And in, in, in situations like this, usually, you know, the the elite clubs actually chip in together and put on you know private planes to get their players back. But of course, you know, for the for the other Premier League clubs affected by this, they've got a lot more time. You know, I mean, Liverpool being the lunchtime kickoff is the the shortest shortest of short straws really after the international break and. Um, I just think it's an absolutely ludicrous situation, you know, which, which definitely damages the integrity of the Premier League because we've seen in Spain that um, you know, that they've, they've actually cancelled some games this weekend where players weren't going to have players back from South American international fixtures in time. Um, yet the show goes on in the Premier League and it's not right, is it, that Liverpool should have to go into a game. You, know, you could say it's only Watford, you know, they should be able to beat Watford, without a couple of key personnel. But it, it just shouldn't be a situation that's that's arisen. And we know why, obviously, with you know the um you know with the pandemic, them having to, to, to fit in three games rather than two. Um I think Brazil have already played Venezuela and Colombia and they're playing Uruguay, as you say, you know, one thirty AM UK time on Friday. So you're talking thirty five hours between that game kicking off. In Brazil and, and and the game at Vicarage Road, so um, yeah, it's you know it, you know I think I think obviously what will happen is they'll be assessed when they do get back and then a final decision will be made, but I I think that is a, a very big ask and um, you know obviously if if Allison doesn't play then you know it's it's going to be you know a, a really big day for Quivine Kelleher
1: You would imagine, keeper, that maybe Alisson is is the more likely of the two to feature given the position, but. Maybe realistically, he won't. But then what, what's your understanding of how that rolls onto the Atletico game as well, Kiva?
0: I mean, it's this is just to, to come on to the topic of games in quick succession like this. I mean, Liverpool were obviously forced to play in the League Cup against Aston Villa that time and then play a final, what was it, James, like 24 hours later, if not less. Um, so, I mean, you know, we've been here before and Jürgen Klopp always gets a bit of stick uh, he's maybe perceived as, as moaning about this but I think across the board all managers will talk about this and you know we, we know it's the players are human I think Thibaut Courtois spoke on it really well and probably like we've never actually heard a player come out and say you know we are just people at this at the end of the day and you know we're getting pulled in in different directions and you know that does take a mental and physical toll on on these players as well and I I don't know in terms of the quarantine, to come back to your question, Steve. I'm not sure, I think, will he have to quarantine? Like, I think it feels the same as last time where it wasn't until, like, the day before the games where we were really clear on what was going to happen. So I'm not sure if this means the after, what, 10-day, 14-day, I'm not entirely sure on on what the, the number of days might be, whether they'll be, you know, because they're football players and they're vaccinated potentially, but are they allowed to not quarantine, it's just, you You feel a bit lost in it again. And this is a bit silly because we had the same thing happen last month and you thought that maybe, you know, it might, there might in that time be discussions and things that happen and solutions, but nothing seems to have really worked out after what was perceived to be positive talks between, you know, um, clubs and, and countries.
1: I'd, I'd be amazed, James, if this wasn't infuriating Jurgen Klopp um, undoubtedly, he'll have something to say, won't he, in his pre-match press conference?
2: Yeah, oh, a hundred percent. Because um, you know, I, I think it, it will just absolutely enrage him. The, the, you know, I think he's spoken previously on it, and and obviously we know that Liverpool did put in a request to try and get the kickoff time of Saturday's game changed, because you know, if it was a three o'clock or even better, you know, a five thirty or an evening kickoff clearly then that gives you some precious hours to to try and get those players in a in a position where they're able to to play so um you know not surprisingly Watford obviously said no to that that change you know their, their argument was one of our fans have been prepared, you know have made arrangements based around a lunchtime kickoff um but you know why would Watford agree to it you know you're not they're not stupid are they? you know they what they want to face a weakened Liverpool team. The, the responsibility lies with with the Premier League and and just you know just the, 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 again it comes back to just how ridiculous the global football calendar is and and how players get pulled in so many different directions. So I feel sorry for you know Alison and Fabino that you know it's you know they had that situation last month where obviously you know they 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 couldn't travel just because you know it's just you know, in terms of just picking up what Kiva said, the difference between this month and last month is that last month, if the clubs had let those players go to South America, they would have had to have done 10 days quarantine in a hotel next to the airport where they just had their meals delivered to them. And, you know, essentially, you know, as Klopp said himself, you know, you're talking about 10 days of, you know, of A, you're not eating right. B, you're not doing any exercise. You know, the the impact that has, he said, you're probably looking at another two weeks after that to get players back up to speed. And then, of course, they'll be going off on international duty again. I think the big difference and one of the key concessions that the clubs had, which led to them releasing players this time around, is, yes, it's 10 days quarantine, but it's not it's not quarantine on the same basis. It's 10 days where they just have to be in accommodation, away from their usual accommodation. where So they're basically away from their families for another 10 days from when they come back. Um, but... You know, they, they don't have those other restrictions and they're allowed out to train and play, obviously, as long as the, the tests are negative. So, you know, it's... So, so they'd be allowed
1: to go to Madrid?
2: Yes. Yeah, yeah. that That's my understanding that um, certainly the last time I spoke to someone at Liverpool, which was the back end of last week, they, um, they, they, they were, they'd been told that there would be no issues for them. So they're not, you know, they're not quarantining in the same way as... That was just going to be impossible to sanction a month ago. They would be allowed to travel to Madrid um, and be part of that game against Atletico on on Tuesday night, even if you know, even if they're not deemed in a in a physical condition, you know, uh, well enough to, 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 to kind of play against Watford.
1: These Premier League games are hard enough, Kiva, but obviously you're coming up against a a Watford side with a brand new manager in place, a very likeable manager. I think for everyone across the board, you look at him and think, well, yeah, he did great things with Leicester. Um, Liverpool missing a couple of key players, only unbeaten side in the Premier League, not lost a game in any competition since April. But how much of a banana skin could this possibly be?
0: I mean, Watford literally wear yellow, don't they? So they couldn't get any more banana skin for you. Um, yeah, I think especially with what happened the last time Liverpool went to Vicarage Road it won't be fresh in the memory. But you know, I think that was a disappointing sort of way to end the uh, the run that they were on um, that season. And you know, it would be massively disappointing to lose that unbeaten streak that they've got going now because I think that's. Everything to Liverpool as long as they can keep that going, they'll be in the hump for the title. You'd imagine uh, one or two slip ups might come along the way, that's a given. But you know, to come, I think on Saturday, there would be you know, Liverpool would have excuses potentially if Kelleher is in goal, or you know, you don't know, you were without your your holding midfielder. But I guess you know, again, you know, Watford fans will be arguing that. I guess Liverpool's strength and depth is, is pretty alright isn't it? Um, You know a lot better than a lot of clubs but I think yeah with Ranieri haven't just taken over there's probably a good feeling now at Watford it's always that first game's always tricky and um, you know he hasn't just come in overnight it's not like he, you know this is a couple of weeks now isn't it? So it's you know he's had time to sort of get the bed in his ideas and just yeah the fans will be reacting to him positively and it's a about how Liverpool handle that because, you know, at Brentford, you know, I was at that game and they didn't seem to handle that very well. You know, the crowd were behind Brentford and, you know, Liverpool lost their heads a little bit, which is something that we haven't really seen from them. Obviously, they improved in, in games thereafter, um, particularly against Man City in that second half. I think that was massively important to, to put in that performance, but it's been, you know a long international break this one hasn't it they all feel long anyway even if it's a week but you know with it being two weeks and everything else that's going on I think it's going to be going to be tricky for Liverpool but you know you definitely should be should be winning those games even if you know all this stuff does feel like it's going against Liverpool they are the stronger team and should be coming away with the three points
1: Well they should shouldn't they Claudio might be trying to draw James on on what happened at Brentford he might be trying to instil that in his players but they're, they're very different clubs Brentford have had Stability with with their manager in terms of Watford, what he's the sixteenth manager in ten years. Liverpool have had, th- have had three, but sixteen managers in ten years.
2: Yeah, it's uh, it's just a, a crazy setup, isn't it? And they've you know they've obviously gone up and down the leagues a few times during that period. And um, yeah, I don't think any manager goes to. Goes to Watford with a with a philosophy and looking to put long term plans in place. <laughs> you, you know it's a sink or swim straight away, and um, yeah, I think probably the payoff probably helps ease the pain of knowing that a few bad results, and and you'll be getting that dreaded knock on the door. So um, yeah, it's I think it, it definitely does make it more difficult the fact that you know Ranieri's gone in there. I think you only had to look at his press comments yesterday to see that. He, he he just injects that positivity doesn't he and and probably a little bit of hope where you know although it's relatively early on in the season the fact that you know Watford had had, had some you know some some setbacks and you know there was probably you know almost a, a little bit of an air of resignation in terms of you know it's going to be a real struggle to stay up again and then i think Ranieri comes in and it just offers that kind of fresh hope doesn't it for the fans so i'm sure i'm sure it will be You know, not the easiest of environments. And we've seen Liverpool obviously come unstuck at Vicarage Road in the past. We know that, you know, if, you know, I think I'm sure what happened at Brentford will feature in Klopp's team talk in terms of what the impact can be if you don't start a game properly, if you don't impose yourself on the game, if you give the home fans something to shout about early on, you you cause trouble for yourselves. And um, hopefully because of what happened at Brentford, I think, you know, that is... Probably the the perfect warning in terms of what Klopp says to the players beforehand, and and obviously despite you know the the likely absence of some key personnel, you know massive that um, Trent Alexander Arnold looks like he's fit and ready to return, having returned to full training this week. Because I think you know as 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 good as as well as James Milner did in the the Champions League game at Porto, there's no doubt you know he did really struggle against Man City and. And he's a he's a fantastic player to have around the place, but we all know that Liverpool, with and without Alexander-Arnold, are two very different forces. And just having that creative spark and dynamism back will, will certainly give them another dimension.
1: It just shows, James, how finely tuned a, a cog, a machine, Liverpool are. Even when you take just one out, and he, he's hyper-important, isn't he, Trent? But you, you take him out, and Milner was fine, but actually... You do lose quite a lot of what Liverpool are about as the the total force.
2: Yeah, hundred percent. I think you only had to listen to Klopp. Kind of, he joined the debate, didn't he? Recently, I think it was probably on the back of after, after Trent played a rare game in midfield he, for England back in um, back in September and, and talked about then. You know, why on earth? Why on earth would you possibly move Alexander Arnold from right back when you know he's almost ripped up the blueprint in terms of how influential a right back can be in games? So. Um, we know so much of liverpool's you know potency goes through him with the you know i think there was a stat before before he went before he, he suffered that groin injury the day before they flew to porto saying that no player created more chances in the premier league so far this season and you know that that just underlines to you his his importance i think his role's changed slightly this season we're seeing him come inside a lot more and 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 ask different questions of of opposing teams as well but yeah with his his passing range, his quality from from wide areas, you um, know, yeah, real, really, really important, and and also you know, throw into the mix the fact that Diogo Jota, you know, was was released early by Portugal because he had a slight problem, but you know, he's he's trained normally as well, and and Klopp said he expects him to start, so um, yeah, th- those two being fit and ready, you know, should. Should help ease some concerns, although you know it'd be interesting to see who, if, if Fabino doesn't feature, then who does play in that kind of holding midfield role because obviously there's no, there's probably no, no kind of obvious candidate. Obviously, we've seen Curtis Jones, you know, well, he certainly played the first half there, didn't he, against um, Norwich in the League Cup? Obviously, Milner has played that previously, but um. You know, Liverpool don't really have. You know, Henderson has obviously played football there as well, but it. You know, Fabinho is an absolute specialist, isn't he? And there's no, there's no one in that Liverpool squad who can perform that number six role at the, at the same level as Fabinho.
1: Right to make sure nothing goes wrong at Watford, that the, the defence has to be on its game. It can't be um, showing itself the, the same way it did at Brentford, Kiva. And you've written actually on on both the centre halves recently. I just want to start on some of the. The stats that you've looked at surrounding Virgil van Dijk and how his, his season has differed from perhaps previous seasons for Liverpool. How's, how's that best displayed stats wise?
0: I mean, it's difficult because I, I wanted to look at Virgil van Dijk's start of the season. It just interested me, and I thought, you know, fans would be interested by it because. You you have seen a drop-off from him, now that's expected because he's just come back from a major injury, major surgery as well, you know, obviously approaching a year now since that. Um, but obviously, you know, it takes 18 months for an ACL to be fully, you, for a player to be any athlete or even person, if they get the right treatment, to be fully recovered. So he's still in that recovery process, as much as he's playing week in, week out for Liverpool, Is still, you know... Levels he can get to. Obviously, he was never going to come back at the at the top end of his game where he sort of left off from. That was, you know, obvious for for everyone. Yet still, he's performing at such a high level and showing that you know he, he can get back to those levels. He isn't quite there at the minute. Um, you know, he's it's, dropped it's, it's
1: off. It's a year, a year on now, isn't it? Is that right? Exactly. A yeah. Year since the derby. October
0: the seventeenth, I think it was last year. So you know, I mean, you expect those drop-offs early. He's probably, you know, still dominant in all these areas because he's not a player who actually. The best thing about Van Dyke is he just sort of watches and waits and lets. Let's opposition players sort of make their move or shepherds them. You know, he's very controlled, probably that's why he has been the best defender in the world for quite some time. You know, he, he still needs to get re, you know, get up to that level again and claim back his title, I think. Which, you know, he's definitely showing that he's sort of on that trajectory and on that path to doing so. Um but I think he is being more careful, more mindful. You know, I haven't watched like clips of him through the start of the season. You could you can see that obviously Joel Matip stepped up and that's been massive. Um, But even in like the game against Norwich, there was moments when he just sort of let Costas Simakas deal with something because he was like, I can't be everywhere all at once. I feel like he realises that now, and you know he needs to manage himself a little bit more because obviously when you've done an ACL in your right knee, you not only like. I think it's like 50% maybe, something like that, that it's 50% weaker or something. But you, you're more likely to damage that again, but also your other knee is likely to get damaged too because you're putting maybe, you know, mentally um, thinking about it in a different way. I don't feel like Van Dyke is because you can just tell that he's got that sort of elite mentality that he's just, you know, he's back now and he's working towards being the best defender in the world. I think we're seeing instances of that from him. Um, but this. There's a little bit of a way to go for him to get back there. You feel like towards the end of the season, we'll definitely know where he is in terms of how he's got back from his injury um, because obviously seven Premier League games is such a short and, and little bit of data to go off. But you know, from what we're seeing, he's still quite elite and quite above you know most other defenders in the league and he's probably playing at not really his, his full capacity yet. Um, whether he can get back there... You know, we don't actually know that, but you feel like a player that's already showing those positive signs definitely can. Um, He's sort of cruising at the minute, which is, I think, positive from him. He's engaging less than he would, like in terms of tackling and stuff. He's not going in for as many as he probably would have, but then he didn't really do that anyway. And that's, I think, what makes him grease. Um, So, yeah, I think he's, you know, shown really a positive start to the season. And I think just his influence—you can just tell it sort of radiates across the defense. I think Allison's had a much improved start to the season than he probably did have last season, and that's because you know Van Dyke's there. I'm thinking towards you know the back end of the season when Van Dyke wasn't there, everyone struggled a little bit. Just having him there helps. I think it would help any of us in a side or you know playing for Liverpool.
1: Yeah, it's, there's still extra levels which which you can go to. We all know that, as you've said, James. Do you do you feel he's playing less of those sort of raking passes, which impose Liverpool on opposition teams? You know, p- pinging it to the the right hand side and enabling Trent and Mo to press as much as they have.
2: Yeah, I think I think certainly it's been a different Virgil Van Dijk so far this season. But I think I think it was just to be expected. I just don't think it was. Ever realistic that that he could come back and and just you know you isn't you can't just flick a switch and and be be exactly who you were. I think uh, I thought that the piece that that, that Kiva wrote kind of it it kind of I think the the stats kind of backed up what what it felt like Uriah had told you so far this season was that it was yeah it's fantastic that he's back and that you know Virgil Van Dyke at 70, 80 percent is still far superior to most. Most of his peers, but you know that he, he's he's not quite you know of course the, the the same force, and it's going to take time. I think you know you speak to physios who have worked with players who have been through ruptured ACLs, and they, you know the 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 time that you were out, you almost have to like double that to to get to before you work out when you'll be back to where you were. So you know, if you're out for nine months, you're talking about potentially eighteen months altogether between from when you did it to when you're back to. To your absolute peak, so um, so yeah, I think um, you know cl- clearly he's so he's so important, he's so influential. You know, I think I, I think he's also had a knock on effect in terms of how well Joel Matip has started the season, just which I'm sure will come on to Matip. But I think you know Matip is a quiet a quiet guy. He's not a natural leader in the way that Van Dijk is, and I think his game is massively enhanced by. Having someone like Van Dijk alongside him, and obviously those are the kind of qualities that that you don't see in stats and you don't see in numbers and passing figures and tackles and interceptions and whatever. I just think they work really well as a partnership because you know Van Dijk is that vocal force and and and, and Matip kind of feeds off that. Let's talk about
1: Joel Matip. So, Kivi, you got you got a fine exclusive with the the person behind the no context Joel Matip social media feed, which has taken the world by storm. Even even the Liverpool team. So Virgil loves a bit of this.
0: Yeah, it, it's the best thing on Twitter, I think, for me. Um, I can't quite explain why Joel Matip is memeable. So I thought, why not ask the person who runs the account that has you know kind of made him the most memeable footballer almost
1: What? Well, why did um, he do it why did he set it up
0: the, the person was basically on a lunch board it works in marketing and just thought let's go for it you know I think Joel Matip's an interesting player I think it was the time when you know those accounts were springing up you'd obviously got like the no context Eddie Hearn and that kind of thing that were doing really well so I think they just sort of was like yeah let's go for that Go for Mattab and didn't quite expect for it to take off in the way that it did. And just, I mean, anything he does now, the, the account gets sort of, you know, bombarded almost with like pictures and screenshots and like little video clips and stuff. And you know, I think it's sort of like Mattab's not on social media, so this is the way we all get our little bit of Joel Mattab content. Um, and there's just some some cracking bits. I think the it sums him up. The the last. Post that they done after the the Man City game where you know Salah just scored that incredible goal, the whole team are huddled together and then Mata just stood about five yards away from them with his hands on his head, just like <laughs> you know. I think that really sums him up. Um, you know, I think those those Franz Beckenbauer runs into into midfield and beyond are just always enjoyable, but like he's actually really good at it and probably doesn't get enough credit for how much of a good defender he is. And I think. Like James mentioned there, he's sort of starting to step out of Van Dyke's shadow almost. He's stepping up this this season in a way we haven't seen from him previously because we know those niggly injuries have sort of, you know, disrupted his Liverpool career. But, you know, he's a player that has taken Liverpool to Champions League finals with his performances. So, you know, we know that there's a quality player in there. Jurgen Klopp, I think, said recently, didn't he? He can't help anyone who doesn't see the quality of Joel Matip. Um, It's clear for people to see, but I feel like away from, you know, Liverpool's fan base people are more reluctant to sort of take him on because maybe he isn't that sort of you know Instagram footballer as well he hasn't got that like social media side of him he hasn't got that like you know there's not on he just like the, the person running the account said you know he's the type of person to you know play a game for Liverpool and then go home and just chill out with his, his wife and his family and he's just very you know he, almost like he's not a footballer he doesn't I feel like he, yeah, David sort of saying as well. Like he, he does. He looks like he shouldn't be a footballer, or like he shouldn't be a good defender, but he is. And I think that sort of feeds into it as well. Um, and you know, a lot of these players are living Liverpool legends, but not all of them are cult icons. And I definitely think Joel Matip's that.
1: Yeah, he's he's one of those. I mean, how many other fans, James? Do you reckon of other teams, are saying Joel Matip's up there with the very best centre halves in the Premier League?
2: <laughs> uh, very few, I think. Um, yeah, he, he definitely fits into that category of players who aren't widely appreciated beyond Liverpool. I think. Um, I, I, I think just the way he goes about his business isn't. He's not. He's not flash in any way, is he? And the uh, I, I think it suits him to go under the radar. He, he doesn't. He doesn't crave attention. Anyone. Anyone who's ever seen him, you know when he's interviewed by the media, he's a man of, of very few words. Um, so, uh, no, he's, you know, but I think, you know, he's exactly the type of personality that Klopp absolutely loves, isn't he? Like, just someone who's more than happy to just let his performances do the talking for him. Um, you know, it's he's much more about substance than than style. And, um, yeah, I, th- I think, you know, he's, the, the biggest compliment you can pay him is no one, you no know, certainly, no Liverpool fan really is talking about Ibrahim Canate and why is he not playing and because you know I think probably rewind three or four months the expectation was that that Canate would quickly establish himself as as Van Dyke's kind of number one partner but um, you know that's certainly not been the case. Matip earned the right on the back of the preseason he had looked incredibly sharp and and hungry and fit. Um, and you know, he, and he's just gone from from strength to strength on the back of that. So um, yeah, it's you know, he, he's going to take some shifting. I think obviously as the as the fixture list does crank up, it'll be interesting even this coming week whether whether Klopp whether Klopp does feel that he's got three games in him, um, you know, three three difficult games, you know, Watford, Atletico, and and United, or whether he does feel the need to to rotate. But I, I certainly think um, mm. at, at the moment. You know, it's it's not even much of a decision for the manager in terms of what is his, his number one centre back partnership.
1: Absolutely, I was amazed, Kiver, in your piece when you put that he's missed nearly a hundred games. I mean, that's remarkable, isn't it? You, you can only hope that he stays injury free now.
0: Yeah, and the thing is with Mata, which is quite interesting. I think when he got injured in at the end of January, wasn't it last last uh, well this year last season? Um, I think he missed then. Was it like? maybe 20 odd games or something whatever it was it was um the most games he'd ever missed in one single sort of hit other than that it's usually just like little you know odds and sods sort of a game here a game there um just for little muscle things thigh problem you know that kind of thing where he's never actually had a major injury until like obviously this injury and you know I think having like James said that time to sort of have his operation, fully recover and then, you know, have the preseason that has now kicked him on into this. But, you know, he's definitely someone who still needs to be managed, um, in terms of his minutes because you, you do worry there could be a flare-up or something like that but you worry about that at the same time then like James has mentioned there you've got Canarte and and Joe Gomez chomping at the bit to get back in so I mean the fact he's holding them off is is pretty incredible and at times in the past he's you know come away with Man of the Match awards when he's been playing alongside Van Dijk who probably was at his peak at those times but you know Matip's the one that's shone so you know I think he has been underrated by a lot of people for a long time and it's nice for him to finally maybe be getting a little bit more of a, a wider spotlight thrust upon them.
1: Right, let's finish uh, the Red Agenda Extra with a piece on nutrition. So Liverpool's uh, head of nutrition is Mona Nemmer. And uh, and Jürgen's been very public in saying that that Mona has changed things dramatically at the football club in terms of the fitness and the influence on the players. So you've had a, an exclusive sit-down with, with Mona, who's got a brand-new book out, and... Um, how much? how much how much of an influence is, is Mona? What what did you get on that front, James?
2: Yeah, it was a fascinating half hour really. She's got a, a new book out entitled A Taste of the Liverpool Way, which is you know it's initially I thought it might be some kind of kind of cookbook recipe list of recipes, and there are there are a little bit of that in there, but it's more about imparting the knowledge um that she's brought to Liverpool over the last five years. Um wanting to to kind of educate and, and and provide that for for fans really to, to to almost you know look at their own health and well being in the same way as as the players do and there's some some fascinating insight in there. I mean that the big thing for me talking to her is just the attention to detail. Where you know you're talking about individual diet plans based around you know a player's age, ethnicity, height, weight, you know metabolism, body fat, allergies you know the, even their position on the pitch the amount of minutes so in terms of detailing what what carbs and and proteins and fats they need and um you know, and, and just the analysis that goes into whether it's you know saliva or blood or or urine and you know the data that's collected from each training session how that is used to then make adjustments to to nutritional programs that the players are on um so uh, yeah it's you know it's uh, you know, the more like speaking to her and just how engaging she is, and you 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 kind of realise that, you know what what you know just Klopp is being very genuine when he refers to her as being one of his most important signings because she certainly transformed that area of the club.
1: I I would imagine that trust is one of the biggest thing here because. If you had a nutritionist, and I'm sure lots of players would leave their football club and then head home and just jam down a pack of custard creams, and you know, not not say anything to the nutritionist, but I That's would imagine I mean. it's
2: the yeah, it's what we all do, isn't it?
1: She's got to have an influence over big players, hasn't she? Who've got, have got to believe in what she's saying and actually follow it.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that was interesting because I, I I did ask her if there was if there was a list of things that were banned. Because, uh, you know, every so often you do hear of ridiculous stories in football, don't you, where a manager's come in and has banned ketchup or bread rolls from the player's canteen or something. And, and she said, no, no, there is, there's, there's nothing that's banned. She said, you know, be, you know, there's no like, you know, red cards or yellow cards dished out to anyone that, you know, that, that has a bar of chocolate or, you know, has a burger or something. She, she just said it, it's all about trust. And education and knowledge, and she said. So she, you know, they'll say to players, well, you know, if you want to have that, then that's fine. But this is the, this is the, these are the implications of eating that. And you know, she and she talks in the book about you know, it's the nutritional value of potatoes if you keep the skin on compared to you know, the, the you know, if you, if if you fry them, you know, the, the the nutritional value. If you want some chocolate, having dark chocolate compared to lighter chocolate that's obviously got a heavier you know sugar and and milk content and um just yeah really interesting how um it's she talks about how you know it she's always felt that that is the best way to go to almost carry people with you and and educate and give them that equip them with that knowledge um rather than you know rule with an iron fist and demand that they do certain things and um yeah even even looking at the you know the images of the of the canteen in the Axa Training Centre at Kirby, and it's it's very much like the hub of the whole complex, you know, where players and staff eat together both before training and after training. You know, it's it almost looks like a marketplace, really, with all the different stations and the juice stations and the pasta stations and the rice and the the fruit and the vegetables and everything. And um it's it's exactly what Klopp wanted. Because I think when he came in, there was a feeling that players looked upon it as you know you'd 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 grab something you'd shovel it down and then you'd be on your way and and now it's somewhere where players really do spend a lot more time and they and I think because she's made it enjoyable they've been they've embraced learning about it and there's in the book there's a lot of input from you know pretty much every player in the first team squad talking about how she's helped them and how their own habits of have changed and um yeah it's it's fascinating you know she also talked about you know the the demands of you know obviously this week with you know having to to try and get players to take on board you know lean meat and pasta at nine o'clock in the morning for a, a 12 30 kickoff because that's another thing that you know and obviously with away games they take the, their own chef and their own ingredients with them so it's it's a massive logistical exercise, um, even more so, I think, with a week like this, where you've got three away games, including a, a, a trip to Spain. Um, but it, it seems to function in incredibly well. And I think that the fact that she's put all these changes in place while carrying the players with her kind of just shows that they, they massively appreciate her, her input. And she is a, you know, a, a kind of a vital cog in, in a kind of a well-oiled machine.
1: It's a far cry from the the boot room. Jan Mulby tells a great story of how when he arrived, um, they basically get on the bus and they get shouted at by Ronnie Moran for for eating bread. And it was essentially a no, you can't eat bread. He said, but then Ronnie would dish out toast in the masses to them. like like They didn't seem to understand the difference. They seemed to think that toast was fine, but bread wasn't. But I think nutrition's come a long way. Um, Your piece is going to be up uh, back end of this week. So people, check that out on Mona and Thank you very much, James. Thank you, Kiva, as always. Brilliant piece on Virgil and Joel Martip. Check that out on The Athletic as well. And thanks for listening to The Red Agenda.